working right now in the preschool toddler room in the village. Believe it. He's back there wiping noses and playing with trains, getting it on this morning. Um, So we just returned from summer camp. Yes. Um, And this summer camp, the, the funny thing about it is it's about... Ten times as old as this church. That's, that's the low estimate. Um, and it has had a profound impact on the spiritual heritage of vintage, of Riverstone, the church we were planted from, and, and people all in Kennesaw, Marietta, Ackworth. In fact, raise your hand if you, if you have been impacted, either you personally or you're someone in your family by the summer camp that we, we go to. So that's if you're a parent, too. It's a pretty good deal. Um, yeah, you can clap for that. It's okay. Um, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to hear from a few folks who want to share things that the Lord did in their life at summer camp this year. Um, now, I want to I warn you before we start that it's easy when high school or middle school students come up here and, and share what's been going on to say, oh, that's great, I'm happy for them, and overlook the fact that it's not just a story, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation for us to participate in what they are bringing back. Because Jesus doesn't do things coincidentally or accidentally. He, he does them on purpose. And so it wouldn't make sense that he takes a large portion of our body, of our people away and gives them gifts and does things and works in their life just to leave it out there or, or not, not bring it fully in to our body. So I want you as they're sharing to think that's, a, that's great for them and it would be awesome for me. Okay? Steve asked to get a thumbs up during the first. So I want a thumbs up if you're on, if you're on board with that. Thank you. Um, so if I talk to you about sharing, go ahead and come up and line up right here. I'm going to hop down. It's right there. Let me turn this on. That was off. Now it's on. So we're going to start down here. We're going to go this way. Um, when it's your turn, share your name. Stand up. Share what you got. Hi, I'm Callie Smith, and I went to summer camp this past week. Uh, The whole theme of the week was called The Calling, and I think that the week focused a lot on how you need to, uh, once God calls you to something, to not be focused and all obsessed about the calling, but to focus on Jesus, who is calling you to uh, do what he wants you to do in life. And let me get my notes out. (laughs) And uh, before I came to camp, uh, there were these four uh, kinds of people that uh, was talked about in the service, which was cop out, sell out, hold out, and all out. And before I came to camp, I really felt like I was a hold out. When I was younger, I had a lot of things happen to me, and I put on the wrong armor. I put on very protective armor, and I just hid in a corner. I didn't want anything else to happen to me, and I didn't want to do anything for Jesus. 
But God just pulled me out of that corner, stripped away that armor, and put on his armor. And he wants me to go into battle with it. And uh, before camp, I wasn't really a coffee drinker. But (laughs) (laughs) Uh, now... Sorry, Smiths. Where are (laughs) y'all? But um, I started getting into coffee there. And just just how every, every morning... One of the first things that you make time in in your morning is getting yourself a cup of coffee. And that's what gets you ready for the day. That's what gives you a kick in the leg for the day. And before camp, I didn't want to get up and do my devotional. I didn't carve time out of my day to spend with the Lord. And uh, I've been wanting to spend time with Him a lot more now. I've been wanting to get up and just have that time with him, get in the word, because the word is what we need to go into battle with. And uh, one of the, the two words that God gave me this week my are my now two favorite spiritual words were joy and freedom. And God gives me so much joy when I wake up in the morning. He just overwhelms we overwhelms me with joy in the morning and I just I need to go and just spread the joy around and how it's not boring God is so not boring he is the most joyful thing that is has ever been and will ever be so yeah So I have to share this about Callie real quick. This is one of them. There are a couple of moments for me that were my absolute favorite, um, but all of them have to do with watching our kids. And I, I watched Callie go up to harvest one night for prayer, and they just cried and cried and cried. And I asked Harvest about it later. And she said, Callie goes up to harvest, and it's just a mess. And she says, Callie, what's wrong? She says, nothing is wrong. I just love him so much. That's, is, that not, is that not just good? It's just good. So go ahead, Josh. Sorry, I just wanted, wanted to share that. Hey, I'm Josh Cox. Um, <laughs> this is my fifth year at camp. Um, Strong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> each year, um, I've had to struggle and strive really to get experience of God, and this year was no different. I want to talk to you about a couple of my struggles this week and God's provision and mercy in that, and I want to talk to you about um, why it's so important that we pursue God after we've had a deep experience of Him. So, Tuesday night, just disconnected and not really into it after the sermon during worship. Holly Smith here comes up to me with her friend, and her friend tells me that um, God had told her to tell someone named Josh that God wanted to fill me up with his love and overflow. And I didn't really think much of it at first, but then I thought, maybe. (laughs) So 
I sat down after the song and I began to pray into that and God's love just poured out and I was filled with joy. So, you see, you can't put you in situations where God's going to pursue you and all you have to do is respond and healing will come and freedom will come. And camp fills you up with tools and then you can ask to be filled with Holy Spirit and then I just send you out, you know. But I mean, it's six day period and then that's it. But <laughs> Sorry, Let I finish. said that's it. That's like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> um, you see, no one ever tells you what to do after that, you know? Like, something's going to come up and you're going to have a difficult situation and, and you can find out what to do to that. So you, after that Tuesday night when I was filled with joy, the joy didn't last, you know. Thursday afternoon rolled, rolled along and that was the opposite. I was filled with anger and I just wanted to be alone. So I went to my cabin but people were in there so I just lay down on my bunk and I just soaked in anger for two hours or so. That's not healthy. <laughs> um, so, while people were going to dinner, I went to find somewhere there to be alone. And I just God met me and He showed me a passage of Scripture, and I confessed my sins to God, and He just showed me mercy as He has time and time again just tell you that because it is so easy to get enslaved again to mm. patterns of sin and after camp it's going to get it harder we have more distractions we don't have scheduled worship each night and we're surrounded with, with non-Christians see I had Kelly's friend to encourage me to pursue God and when I was filled with anger the only thing I could think to do to stop being angry was to pursue God and he showed me mercy but it's going to get harder See, the first step, step we take at camp is to take everything we hold on unto and to give it, it to God. And then on Thursday night, some, if not all of us, took a step. We knelt down, and some of the cancers knighted us to see all the work that God had done with us and to prepare us for battle. But when that difficult situation comes, 
we going to run back to the things we, he had given up to God? Or are we going to stand in Jesus and in his word? If we you want to do that, we have to do it together. We have to encourage one another to love and good works. That's all I got. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm an intern here this summer, so um, I had the privilege to hang out with some pretty awesome kids this week. And it was my first time being a counselor, but I've been to camp every year since I was 12. So um, I've been a couple times, and I know the drill. But um, the Lord never ceases to amaze me that he'll keep showing me new things even when I'm a counselor. And it's about the kids. So... Um, needless to say, I learned a lot from the Lord this weekend about his character and um, what a good God he is. But um, on Sunday night, which was our first night there, Mark was talking about um, being honest. And he started talking about the difference between facts and truth. And I was like, those sound the same to me. Like, if it's a fact, it's true. And he said that um, the difference is that facts get trumped by the truth that Jesus offers us every time like there's never going to be a time where a fact that you have doesn't get trumped by his truth and he used the example of Abraham and Sarah and how their fact was that Sarah was barren and she couldn't have kids but he had a different plan for them and that was his truth and they had Isaac and so that was um that was something that really opened my eyes and that um something that I've been struggling with this year is like things are things in life get really hard and um, bad things or negative things can happen. but um, And so we, we kind of stop there, and we're like, well, that's awful. I can't believe that happened. And we get stuck on that one bad thing instead of looking past it. And so that bad thing that happens is our fact. But what Jesus turns that into is our truth. And um, so the Lord just really started speaking to me about um, – about how I need to learn to ask him in those hard times what his truth is and not what the fact is because the fact is right in front of me and that's what the enemy wants to use for me to to say like oh God's not good he made this happen but he didn't he has a truth and so I need to focus on the truth and um and then he started Mark started talking about how we wear the belt of truth and so we always have that with us and um so what I've learned and I would challenge you all to do too is that when something negative happens to wait and see Jesus' truth through that and he has the ability to turn something negative into something positive because he's a good God and he gives us good things. So that's all. Amen. I'm Erin and I've been to camp for six years. And this year was really different because I was in such a a weird place in my life. Um, So usually it's really awesome, and you go back, and it kind of just dies off. And this year I was in such a weird place that I couldn't get into the services. And the first night I was so angry that I I didn't know what to do with myself. And so the whole week I kind of just tuned everything out. And then the last night... um, I was like, 
on autopilot, and I went up and got prayer, and um, that was good and everything. So nothing really huge happened at camp, but on the bus ride back, (laughs) um, we were all talking, and this has been on my heart for a really long time, but our youth group is so important to me, and it's such an important part of this church, and like, um, because we're we're the future, we're coming up, so... um, this is, it's so important to me. So after I got prayed for, I kind of, I feel like we all need a place to go to. Because one thing they prayed for me was to have new friends. And um, so it's really been put on my heart that all of us have a place to to go to and to feel safe. And so I told Sarah about something that how Sarah Copley, right? Sarah Copley, right, right here. here. And um, us as seniors, it's our responsibility to kind of make this happen, and so um, so I, I told her that my heart and how I wish like, that all of us could become closer and just have a safe place, and once we come closer, we can expand and take over the world, and <laughs> so... <laughs> modest, modest ambitions. <laughs> and so I, t- I was talking to Sarah about it on the bus and uh, talking to Zach Simmons about it, and um, they basically said, okay, what can we do? And so we asked Timothy, and, and then it turned into like a two-hour lecture on the bus ride about <laughs> what we should do. did. It um, did. I got excited. I couldn't help it. <laughs> but um, so that's my heart, and like my heart is youth ministry. And uh, on the bus ride back, I realized my calling, because that was the theme of camp, and my calling is youth ministry. And so, um, so now I think my passion is to um, become in the youth ministry. And God gave me this verse, and it's Philippians 1, 9 through 11. It says, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand, for I want you to understand what what really matters, so that you may be pure and blameless lives in, until Christ returns. May you be filled with the fruit of your salvation where this will bring much glory to, and praise to God. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to live by and kind of taking a leadership role in youth ministry. Yeah. I'm Sarah, and um, this past week has really just been like my eyes were completely opened. Um, on the last day, people had a chance to share their testimonies or you know, just the same, basically what we're doing now. And it seemed like the majority of them were like, you know, I've just really struggled this past year, and God's just so good, and he, like, moved through me, and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. But then I realized, like, to be honest, I've had a really great year this past year, and, like, for the most part, (laughs) I've been really content with my life and just school and everything that I do. And I was like, good job, Sarah. Like, you deserve a pat on the back because, like, I just felt like I worked really hard, so I deserved it. Like, and so the last day, it just kind of hit me like, what are you thinking? Like, this is God's work. I didn't do anything. Like, it was all him. And that I should be giving him the glory and not, you know, saying that I did it all on my own. Um, so he just really showed me that he was by my side. and He never left, even though I didn't realize he was standing there the whole time. And, um... So I just realized how lukewarm I had been and that I just wasn't, like, fully there. And I was just thinking, like, 
I was just so afraid of being a failure to God and to other people around me and just thinking what other people would say. And um, so I decided to just flip open my Bible and was like, you know what, I, I hope there's a verse there. And so there was. <laughs> and it is... Isaiah 51, 7, and it says, Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have my law in your heart. And it says, Do not fear the reproach of men or be terrified by their insults. And so I was like, okay. And so I decided that in that moment I'm going to be bold no matter what, and I'm going to have courage and, you know, just to be able to speak out to people and to reach them because um, that was one of the main things is not being able to impact people around me at school who I know just really are in a bad place and I didn't know how to do that and I didn't have the courage to do that but now I feel like I do and so I just prayed to God and I was like God just move through me I just like let me feel your flame and all that good stuff and so all of a sudden I was like filled with the Holy Spirit and I was like whoa this is awesome and like up until then I had never been filled with the Holy Spirit and so now it's more like people I don't necessarily have to go to people and be like, this is what Jesus is about, and, you know, he's so good, and, like, I guess kind of, like, force it onto them. And so now, like Timothy was saying, people just being filled with the Holy Spirit, people are going to be attracted to you, and they're going to want to be around you, and eventually they'll come to you. And so I just thank God because I was so nervous and, like, I was scared because I feel like I really have to, like, do it now. Like I'm before I know it, I'm going to be moving into college, and so I just felt like it was now or never, and so I decided that I was going to act now. Amen. That was awesome. You guys are great. Um, yeah, y'all can sit down. Um, y'all, y'all realize that it's a mark of the Holy Spirit when things like this start happening to young people, right? Like this isn't just going to a camp. In Acts two, Peter says that. In the last days, the Lord will pour out his spirit, and old men will dream dreams, and young men will prophesy, and, and that all people, all flesh, young and old alike, will, will have the spirit poured out on them. Um, so, so stuff like this is the beginning of the work of the spirit, uh, and he's calling all of us to it. Because one of the marks of the Holy Spirit is that generations come together. If you want to see evidence of the Holy Spirit working at Vintage, pay attention to how we relate intergenerationally. That, that'll be a mark of the Holy if, if what you heard, this, you said, that's great for them, but oh man, that would be awesome for me. That's, that, that's, a, that's a mark that the Holy Spirit is moving. And so this is what camp is like. Like, this stuff really happens for our young people, I'm going I'm to stay down here for the rest of the time, if y'all don't mind. Um, and so I'm at camp, and I'm sort of operating on three levels. Like, I'm operating personally for me. Jesus, what do you want to do in my life? And then the next level, I'm operating, like, looking, for our, looking at our students, looking for our students. Jesus, what are you doing in our students' life? What, what do you want me to partner with you in this week for our students? But, but third... As I said before, I believe that Jesus has things for us as vintage as well. Uh, and, and the theme of camp was, it was called the calling. And the verse that this was based on was Ephesians 4.1. It says, therefore I urge you as a prisoner of the Lord to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
So, so what Paul is, he's speaking to an entire group of people, speaking to an entire church. So it just makes sense to me that if he can speak like that to his church, a whole city, how could we look at vintage and say there are people who aren't called among us? Like you can't look at yourself and say, well, God's just not calling me. It might not be calling in the sense of like, oh, I'm called to the ministry. That, that might not be it, but I guarantee you he is calling you to something because Scripture says that there are good works set out in advance for all of us to walk into. And so I believe God, God is, is speaking to us about how to move into pursuing our calling both as individuals at Vintage and as Vintage corporately. So I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. So you can go ahead and go there. It will be up on the screen. Um, and we're going to look at what it looks like to live out, to, to pursue our calling and live a life worthy of the calling. So he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of those who I send you to. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So I think we got three really easy, I shouldn't say really easy. Uh, three simple but not easy things we can do to live out our calling. And, and I need to tell you that without realizing that we have been called, both individually and corporately, without pursuing this and going after these good works that the Lord has set out in advance for us to do, we will get bored. We will become sleepy. Jesus will become uninteresting. And the things of God will become dull. So, we need to, in order to do this, we need to be whoever God asks us to be. We need to go wherever he asks us to go. And we need to do whatever he asks us to do. See, in the beginning, God, he says, I've, I've picked you out, Jeremiah, and I've appointed you as a prophet, someone to speak to my people for their redemption. And Jeremiah said, I don't, I don't know how to speak. I'm, I'm just a youth. I'm, a, I'm just, I'm young. I can't do that. So immediately he says, God, I am not who you think I am. I am not this kind of person. This is, this is not who I am. You picked the wrong guy. And I think a lot of times we get it mixed up that like we, we somehow do something to merit God's call on our life. And so it's really easy for us to look and say, well, Jesus might use that person over there who has gifts, talents, abilities, who has, seems to have a close relationship with him and be able to do all these things, but not me because I don't really bring anything to the table. And immediately God says, well, well that's not the case. Because notice he doesn't say, well, you're not a youth. He says, don't say I am only a youth. 
Because when we begin to think in our, uh, of this, of being, of who we are, what we're like, in terms of simply who we are, then we begin to have a very small view of God's ability to work through our life because it becomes centered on us. And we are prone to failure. We are, we are unable to shoulder the burden of the character of the workmen of God. We're just, we just can't do it. But when we think about God and his ability to make us who he desires for us to be, the horizon gets a little bit broader. We begin to realize that, that it's not our qualifications that merit his call to us. It's, it's his call to us that generates the gifts in us. So like me, I am not administrative or organized one bit. Ask someone. I'm not. I look at people who are able to, to get things done. I'm like, that is amazing. So I, I like look at Randall, and what she is able to do blows my mind. Because I just, I can't. I'm just not wired that way. That's not who I am. But it's not Randall's ability that have put her in this position. It is God's calling to this position that has excited these abilities. Does that make sense? Y'all, y'all get what I'm saying there? Like if you just look at it, what, who you are, there's so much that will just crush you immediately. And you'll say, I'm only a youth. I'm, I'm, only a, I'm only a teacher. I'm only an architect. I'm only an electrician. I only work at a funeral home. That's it. That's it. That's all I am. That's all I do. That's all I bring to the table. But God says, no, it's my calling that produces in you what is needed to fulfill it. So, so who is God calling you to be? Who, who is God calling you to be? And we, we need to go where he asks us to go. See, our calling isn't marked by being stagnant. One of the phrases we heard this past week at camp is, we're saved into a kingdom, not a saveddom. See, the, the difference between a kingdom and a saveddom is a saveddom we're completely content to sit around and play patty cake and have little fun church games while, while, while affecting no change in our community. But in a kingdom, we're called to action. We're called to go. I mean, think, think immediately about Adam. Go, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Abraham, go into the land I will send you. What does he say to the woman who's brought out to him in adultery? Go, daughter, your sins are no more. Go and sin no more. What, what does he say to the apostles? When, go into all the world and make disciples. Go. He doesn't say come sit around me. He says go. Because we're compelled. Jeremiah says it's like a, a fire in his bones. One of the marks of, of an encounter with God, of experiencing this calling is that you can't contain it. Like you listen to Sarah Copley, she said, I, I just can't be the same anymore. I have to act. You listen to Aaron, I have to do something. And so God sends us. We're, com- we're compelled. And, and here's the thing, is it might not be to a place. It could be, but it might not be. It could be to people. It could be to your neighbor. It could be to your children. It could be to your spouse. God could call you to, to get involved in PTA and be an agent for change in your child's elementary school. 
He could call you to, to vintage, to serve at Apne, to serve in the village. He could call you to move to downtown Atlanta and be an agent of change and, and revitalization in a horrible part of town. He could call you, call you to a place far flung across the globe where there aren't ice cubes or air conditioning. The, the answer is that, that he has called you. And, and, and notice he says, where I send you, you shall go. It's not Jeremiah's ability to get there. It's God's ability to send him. So, so the question is, where is God calling you to go? Who, who is he calling you to go to? We also have to be willing to do whatever God asks us to do. Because just like, just like it's marked by going, it's also marked by action. James says, you can show me your faith by, by what you believe. That's fantastic. I'll show you mine by what I do. And it's not saying that somehow we, we earn this. It's not saying somehow we, we do things and that gets us right standing with God. And then all of a sudden we're in his favor and he uses No. It's saying that, that truly, when we experience this, when we encounter this, we no longer have the ability or the luxury of sitting still or standing by. We're called from a spectator sport into a team sport. He, he calls us to do something. And, when we, and, and immediately Jeremiah says, well, Lord, I'm a, I don't know how to speak. You're calling me to speak to you. I don't know how. I'm, I'm so young. I don't know how to do this. And so what Jeremiah does is he looks at what he brings to the table rather than God's invitation. And when we look only at what we bring, at that point we are automatically disqualified from experiencing the supernatural grace of God. When you think only in terms of what you can accomplish in your own strength, with your own mind, with your own money, with your own gifts, with your own talent, there is little room for Jesus to do something amazing. You know, Jesus said, I, I, I could not do many miracles here because of their lack of faith. Because they looked and they said, well, dead people aren't supposed to get up. Sick people aren't just miraculously made well. Jesus said, well, that's what I'm in the business of doing. So if you don't believe that, I don't, I don't have much welcome here. When we, it, it, we're in a good place when we look and we go, I, I, I'm not equipped for this. There's a king in the, Old, in the Old Testament who is surrounded by the enemy. And he uttered one of the greatest prayers I think I've ever heard, which is, Oh God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And so when we get off of looking at ourselves and our inability, we begin to see the tremendous ability of God to work out his plan through us. We look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and, it says, and, and the Sanhedrin looks at Peter and John and says, these guys are ordinary, unschooled fishermen. But they took note of them because they'd been with Jesus. And later on, you skip over 13 chapters, and it, and it says that these are the guys who are turning the world upside down. So you're just a normal person, kind of average, don't have higher than average ability or lower than average ability. you got a pretty normal job. Great. Awesome. You're in great company because there's people just like you, just like us, who turn the world upside down. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. 
we have to ask ourselves a question. What would we be willing to attempt for Jesus if we knew we couldn't fail? See, that removes that safety net of, ah, that's unreasonable. What would you, what would you be willing to attempt for Jesus if you knew you couldn't fail? What is he calling you to do? So we need to be whoever he asks us to be. We need to go wherever he asks us to go. And we need to do whatever he asks us to do. Why, why, why don't we? Like, I'm, I, I do not live in that reality most of the time. Why? It's, it's, right, it's right in verse 8. It says, don't be afraid. Fear. Like, that stuff is terrifying. What if who, who God calls me to be isn't popular? What if what God asks me to do is risky? What if where God asks me to go is uncomfortable? It's, it, it causes fear. And when you get out on that on the end of that branch, it's it, it gets kind of it gets hairy quick. So how do we how do we get over this fear? Well, we get over it as it says it says it right there. I am with you. To deliver you, declares the Lord. We have to live in his presence and love his person. We have to live in his presence because when we see him, when we're constantly soaking and reminding ourselves of who he is, we realize that he's the one who says, I hold the nations like a drop of water in my hand. He's the one that says, salvation belongs to me. Like real practically what that means is if your mom or dad or brother or sister or son or daughter or cousin or Aunt Jane or whoever is not a Christian and it rips you apart, take comfort because salvation belongs to God. It, it belongs to He is the one who gives it. He is the one who administers it. It belongs to him. It's in his possession. And when we see these things that he is powerful and sovereign and good and loving these things he calls us to do and to be and where to go become much they cause much less fear because we have his presence which which gives us peace and we need to love his person we need to allow who he is and what he has done to cause us to love him so that we'll follow him anywhere because long before you were ever called to be something or go somewhere or do something, there was a man who was called to be a sacrifice. He was called to to go away from his father's house. And he was called to become a ransom for all of us. And he fulfilled it perfectly. And finally, when Jesus said it is finished, he meant that this, this calling that we oftentimes fail at and then are discouraged by, and it, it is daunting and it's terrifying and causes us to shrink. He has fulfilled it perfectly so we can follow him. It says he is the anchor of our souls. So when the, when it's, when the waves are pushing us around, he is what we cling to at the bottom that holds us in place. He is the one who has gone before us. He is the author of our salvation, the captain of our salvation. He has done it so we can follow him fearlessly and boldly because we know that if we fail, if we aren't the right person, if we don't go to the right place, if we don't do the right thing, if we're scared, if we're fearful that he has done it, we can rest in him. He produces 
peace and joy and love in us. And that frees us to follow him unhindered and boldly to, 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 to live our, a life worthy of our calling. A long, a long time ago, there was a guy named C.T. Studd. And he had a wife named Priscilla, and they, and they were missionaries. But before he became a missionary, C.T. was radically saved in college. He was a, the best cricket player England had ever seen. I mean, literally, he was like the LeBron James of cricket. I don't know what that looks like in cricket, but I'm assuming if you do, you'd be like, oh, man. Um, he, was, he had this great athletic career ahead of him. He was radically saved and said, that's not for me. Not only that, he had enormous wealth coming to him from his father. He said, I've got to give it all away. But he'd read in the Bible that if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So he gave his wife $75,000, which she actually gave away too. And so they go, and they go to Africa and India and China. And when they're in China... C.T. is leading a service in this little storefront church. As they're wrapping up the service, they're singing the song, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. And, and he's like, we, we need to do something. We need to, we need to just, I need to let these people know how important this is. And he notices they're all already standing, so he goes, I got it. So he stands up and he says, I would like you all to stand on your chairs while we sing this song. Stand on their chairs, sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, except for one guy. And this one guy beelines up to CT after the thing and says, Mr. Studd, that was the most blatant display of emotionalism I have ever seen. And if you ever do anything like that again, that'll be the last service you ever lead in this mission organization. This guy was the senior missionary. He was CT Studd's boss. So he said, okay. A little bit later, Priscilla Studd, C.T.'s wife, is on a steamer on the Yangtze River in China. She's just sitting out on the, on the sun deck, and the same guy, the, the senior missionary, walks up to her and goes, Miss Studd, ask you a question. She says, yeah, sure, of course. So you, you and your husband really seem to enjoy God. She said, yes, we do. She said, no, like, you really seem to enjoy worship and prayer and ministry. She said, yes, we, we do. And he said, don't get me wrong. I'm committed to Jesus. I'm committed to this work, but I can't say I enjoy it. How, how did this happen? She said, well, it hasn't always been this way. There was a long time where we were tired and worn down and weary, and we were just done. And so we, we went together in prayer and said, Jesus, if you want us to do this, if this is something you're calling us to for the rest of your life, you have to fill us with your presence, with your peace, with your joy. We, we need to know your spirit deeply. And she, and she said, when, when we surrendered, he filled us with our, his presence in such a way that we will never be the same. And the senior missionary said, ma'am, do you, do you think that God would do that for me? She said, absolutely. She said, but I need, to ask you, I need to ask you some questions first. He said, okay. She said, will you be whoever God asks you to be? He said, I will. She said, will you go wherever he asks you to go? 
And he said, I will. She said, will you do anything he asks you to do? And he said, I will. She said, I have one final question. He said, okay. She said, would you be willing to stand on your chair for Jesus? And he said, yes, ma'am, I believe I would. And so she gets out of her chair, picks it up and hands it to him and says, mine isn't in use. And so he takes it from her and says, okay. And um, Priscilla said, I don't know whether he went in to pray or to preach, but I know this, he came out a different man. And so whether it's being whoever God asks you to be, going wherever he asks you to go, or doing whatever he asks you to do, I would be willing to bet that fear is keeping you from standing on your chair for for Jesus. There's something in there somewhere that you say, "I I can't do that. I'd look ridiculous. What would people think? It's too risky. It's too much. And I'm asking you, would you be willing to stand on your chair for Jesus? Would you be willing to be whoever he asks you to be? Would you be willing to go wherever he asks you to go? And would you be willing to do whatever he asks you to do? For some of you, being who he asks you to be means becoming a Christian. You've you've heard about it, you know about it, and you say, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. to feel this, to understand this, you have to be who he asks you to be. Some of you have heard Jesus tell you to go somewhere or go to somebody, and you haven't, and you've been miserable. Because we're not made for halfway. You're not made to hear the call of God and know it and sit idly by. There are some of you who have great dreams in your heart that have died. And they've caused this callous place in your heart. And God is asking you, will you do whatever I ask you to do? So we're going to have, we're going to have ministry time. And Harvest is going to come up and, and play. And um, we're going to have our ministry teams go ahead and come forward. Um, and we're going to have a little bit of addition to the ministry team this time.